If you have a Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. As uh, it was either Chris or um, Dale who said it, familiar words. The story of the birth of Jesus. Who is Jesus? That's the question we're asking all this month during December. As this passage tells us, he's the savior of sinners. Again, familiar words. I've preached this before. I've used a different outline every time as I am this morning. And pray that God might give us fresh eyes to see his glory and his goodness to us in these words. Matthew 1, 18 through 25 Hear God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Thus ends the reading of God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. Let's ask his blessing now as we consider his word. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, whether we find ourselves weary, downcast, dragging, wishing the sun would come up a little bit earlier than it did or a thousand other things. If we find ourselves joyous and over the moon, in all this, would you remind us that the hope we have is found in Jesus, not in anything else. And there is hope and it is found in him. And it's in his great name we ask all this. Amen. How will I afford this? What about school or my job or my dreams? Last year, Rich Bennett, the president of Life Network, said those are often the first questions that a parent asks when they're facing an unexpected pregnancy. And he said when others talk to them about their questions, their feelings, their fears, they begin to feel safe enough to think about parenting. Now, did Mary and Joseph ask those questions? Maybe not exactly, but they were facing an unexpected pregnancy, were they not? Similar fears uncertainties, unanswered questions. Mary and Joseph did not expect this. God did, but his people didn't. Was that their fault? Not in this case. But the shock, the fear was still there. But God would meet them in their fears. He would give them confidence to go forward. This is a story about Jesus's earthly father, but it also answers the question, who is Jesus? He's the savior of sinners. You see that clearly in this story. We also see that Baby Jesus, who is also King Jesus, Savior Jesus, he gives hope even to his own parents. We see that a clear revelation of a miraculous salvation allows God's people to trust amidst fear, to obey amidst difficulty. And we need that too, don't we? Because our world is often 
scary. We navigate the unexpected as well due to life circumstance, due to our own poor planning sometimes. And we sometimes find ourselves powerless, helpless, clueless to navigate those unexpected challenges. But into our darkness, Emmanuel comes. He shines the light of his hope, the comfort of his presence. Emmanuel, God with us, is with us in our darkness, lighting the way, conquering the sin that separates us from God. So no matter what challenge we face, God's word reminds us as it does in Romans 8 that nothing, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We see that unfold in three points this morning as Joseph finds out about the son he never sired, the son who would also be his savior. Our first point this morning is this, no good deed unpunished. No good deed unpunished, verses 18 and 19. You might be raising an eyebrow at this one. See, our final two points are quotes from God's word. This one is not. This is a, a quip from godly man, my old boss, pastor John Reeves. He used to say something, certain things happen. He'd say, well, no good deed goes unpunished. And sometimes it's how life feels, right? You do everything right and it all goes wrong. That, that may not be accurate, that may not be true, but sometimes that is how life feels, isn't it? Why are these people mad at me? I am only trying to help. Don't they see that? Don't they realize? I have to wonder if Joseph had a similar feeling early on in this story. What had, what had he done? Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Three B words here to help us understand what's going on. First, betrothed. Betrothed before in baby. The first one, betrothed. This, this is like an engagement, but more serious. It was, it was not quite as serious as marriage. You see in Jewish tradition, betrothal took place before witnesses. Man and woman at that point, they stated their intention to marry. Afterwards, they're betrothed. They would be called husband and wife, even at that point, even though the wife, as young as 13 in some cases, remained at home with her parents after the betrothal for, for about a year until the wedding, until the consummation of their physical relationship. And that leads us to the other B word here, before. Before betrothal has taken place, that, that's happened for Mary and Joseph, but it's still, what does it say? Before they came together. Snow falls over there. Before the wedding, before the two had become one flesh, before all that, something happens. And that's the other B word, baby. She is found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, it says. It's the word child, not baby, but work with me. And, and you notice how, how restrained the language is here, Right? Luke 1, of course, explains this as well. They both explain it a little bit. You see, both authors, Matthew and Luke, they were both scientifically aware. By the way, it's worth mentioning Luke was a doctor. Both authors are scientifically aware of the normal way that babies are conceived, but, but they don't really get into all that. They mention how unnatural, how supernatural all of this is. And I like to say that if the miraculous nature of all this bothers you, then you primarily have a problem with miracles, not with Scripture. 
See, even Joseph didn't understand all this. He didn't understand these unexpected circumstances at first before it was explained to him. Now, what do we know about Joseph so far? Well, he's betrothed to Mary. What else do we know about him? It says in verse 19, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Notice it says husband. Again, that's how they referred to each other after the betrothal. The word fiance, for example, didn't exist for you know many, many years after this. 2,000 years ago, it wasn't around. It probably wasn't around until about 200 years ago. But both words convey that there's a serious relationship, a serious commitment. In fact, in first century Israel, a betrothed couple, if they want to end their relationship, this betrothal, if they don't want to go through with the wedding, they had to go through with a divorce at that point with witnesses. You didn't simply give the ring back. It wasn't that simple. But it says Joseph had resolved to divorce her. Yet it also says he was a just man. Some of you are wondering, how could Joseph want to do that if he was just? Well, again, Joseph didn't have all the information yet. As I said last week, the natural assumption would have been that Mary had been unfaithful. If Joseph wasn't the father and Joseph knew he couldn't be the biological father, then another man must be the father. You might be wondering, well, how could Joseph think so little of Mary? Didn't he love this woman? Why was he so quick to judge her? Joseph and Mary may not have known each other very well at this point. Many scholars point that out. I'm not saying it was an arranged marriage necessarily, but it probably didn't involve tons of FaceTime, dating, courtship, an obsession about their compatibility and senses of humor and all those things. And by the way, I'm not saying that that way was better. I'm saying that was common back then. So we need to be careful not to bring in our 21st century assumptions about life, love, dating, marriage, and more into this passage. Uh, some of you might have seen an animated kids movie. It's called The Star, as in the star of Bethlehem. It, it follows the donkey who carries Mary to Bethlehem. Fairly accurate you know, except for a few things like the donkey talking and whatnot. But there's a scene where Mary kind of says, hey, Joseph, sit down. I need to tell you something. The thing is, we don't know if that really happened, right? <laughs> and even if it did, maybe it didn't happen before these verses. Maybe Joseph has heard it through the grapevine. One relative has told him someone else has noticed something we don't know. Joseph was betrothed to Mary, and then at some point he heard an unbelievable story. And even though he had every reason to think that Mary had been unfaithful, he didn't want to put her to public shame. He didn't want revenge for the way that she had apparently embarrassed him, made a fool out of him. No, it says he was just. He was going to do it quietly. He seemingly had no good options. A good man who'd done nothing wrong, nothing scandalous, but as I said, no good deed goes unpunished. Difficult situation has been dumped into his lap. If he marries her, people are going to assume that he was unfaithful. And if they didn't think that, they'd just think he was a fool for going through with it. And if he divorced her publicly or not, there would be questions about why. Be whispers. There'd be shame. There'd be side-eyed glances. No good options. 
not when the Holy Spirit's miracle is seen from a merely human level, right? Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Now, Joseph was just, but he was also finite, possibly leaning on his own understanding, not saying that any of us would have done better, not even sure that he did anything wrong, but would, would all of this look different if God were to give him new light, new insight? Well, we're about to find out very quickly. Joseph's situation goes from what we might call no good deed unpunished, that cynical attitude that we all sometimes have in the midst of our difficulties. It goes from that to this. Secondly, no good, no good thing withheld. No good thing withheld. You see this in verses 20 through 23. This is a phrase that comes to us from Psalm 84, verse 11, which says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly or blamelessly. Are you blameless? In Christ you are. You can be. Does God withhold any good thing from you? No, he doesn't. Does God withhold any good thing from Joseph? No, he doesn't. In fact, he's about to give him the best gift of his life, even though it didn't look like that at first. When Joseph went to sleep one night, he thought the only option was to seek a quiet divorce, figure out the rest of his life later. And then verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, an angel. Lots, lots of angels in the Christmas stories, right? Most basic meaning of this word is, is messenger. And this angel brings a message from God to Joseph. He appears to Joseph in a dream. Now, a couple things to think about here. One, this often happens in Scripture when new revelation is coming forth. When, for example, a new deliverer comes on the scene like Samson, when God's grand plan of redemption releases a new chapter, you often see angels and dreams, ways that God directly communicates with his people. Secondly, we may sit here and wish, oh, I wish God would speak to us like this today. I've got this situation. I just need God to send me a letter, appear to me in a dream and say, do this, then do this, then do this. It'll all be figured out. It's the wrong way to look at it, my friends. We may think Joseph had it better than us. That's not so. We have it better than Joseph. We have 66 books of Holy Scripture, a completed Bible. We know the end of the story, and he did not. He knew parts of it. So don't expect God to solve all your problems by speaking to you like this, but do see in this the kindness of God communicating to one of his confused servants like this. What does the angel say? He says, do not fear. Most common command in the Bible. Before that, of course, he addresses him as Joseph, son of David. Now, this may be another allusion to Isaiah 7. You, you'll see verse 23. That's a quote from Isaiah 7, 14. But this, the son of David. See, Isaiah 7, what's going on there besides this verse about a virgin giving birth, all those things. Isaiah 7 is about a king of Israel, a son of David, 
who's afraid. So afraid that he won't receive the sign of assurance that God offers to him. So afraid that he's already arranged for a backup plan. It's called the Egyptians to save his bacon, to fight the other enemy on the other border, the Assyrians. King Ahaz, a son of David in Isaiah 7, he was afraid and he didn't trust God. He rejected him. And now there's a new son of David who doesn't have an army at his disposal. He's not a king. Who's just a lowly carpenter and he's called to trust God and God gives him the clear revelation that he needs he does not withhold the good news that Joseph needs to know the good news that God is delivering him and other sinners like him through a miracle baby go marry that girl Joseph he practically says through the angel because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit what did Joseph fear he feared, he assumed that Mary had been unfaithful. And what does he say? No, Joseph, she wasn't unfaithful. I have done the unimaginable, the unthinkable, the unbelievable. It says in verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The you of verse 21 is singular. Joseph will do this. Joseph will call his name Jesus. Naming was the duty of the father. The legal father in this case, though not the biological father. And why the name Jesus, you might be wondering. Why not Emmanuel? Well, hold that thought. Let's look at verses 22 and 23. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That last part, God with us, that's Matthew's explanation. He's translating Old Testament Hebrew into Greek, the language of first century Israel, which was part of the Roman Empire, which had been, which had conquered the Greek Empire. But, but in all this, this quote, it's, it's from Isaiah 7. The virgin shall conceive. Hebrew word is Alma, the Greek word, both in the Septuagint of Isaiah 7.14, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, as well as the Greek New Testament, Matthew 1.23, the word is Parthenos. Now, why do I tell you all that? Because some poke holes in this. They ask, did, did Isaiah, did Matthew, did they, did they really mean virgin? I'm going to spare you pages of scholarly research and say, go read Ralph Davis on Isaiah, read Knox Chamblin's two-volume commentary on Matthew, or just listen to this one quote where Chamblin says, this was the best word to use if he wanted to say virgin. God is clearly saying something miraculous is happening in the birth of Jesus. Lots of pages of scholarly research says that. God gave many barren women a baby. You see that over and over in the Old Testament. There was a woman who couldn't have a baby and boom, she had a baby. Now he tops it all. A virgin will give birth. That's not the only miracle involved in all of this because this baby to be born, Jesus, he says he will save his people from their sins. Again, why is his name Jesus? Why not Emmanuel? There's, there's both in the passage here. What's going on? Well, they're related. The point is not that he would actually bear the name Emmanuel. Hi, I'm Bob. Hi, I'm Emmanuel. That's not the idea. Emmanuel describes the way that he brings God's presence to man and Jesus explains the way that he makes that happen. 
Jesus or Yeshua, the Lord saves, something like that. He saves his people from their sins. By saving his people from their sins, he atones for sin and he eliminates that which separates God from man. He conquers sin. He eliminates separation so that God is with us once again. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He does not withhold himself in the light of his presence. You might say, but Matt, who walks uprightly? You might be worried that you don't. I'll reassure you, no one does on their own. Not even Joseph. Oh, he was just or righteous, it says here, but that doesn't mean perfect. Elders are above reproach. That doesn't mean perfect either. Just meant that Joseph went to the temple regularly where they offered sacrifices regularly. Why did they do that? To remind them that blood had to be shed to atone for their sins. And now what is God doing? He is giving, not withholding, one who will be the ultimate sacrifice for sin. What what John 1 calls the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is God's good news to sinners like you and me, that Jesus can save you from your sin, from the guilt, from the shame, from the future punishment of sin, from the present shame of sin, the feeling of inadequacy, from the power of sin, which results in real inadequacy, not just a feeling. You can be made right with God. You can be upright in God's sight, not because of your efforts, but because of the Lamb of God who died for your sin. God is also saying to Joseph, this baby is not the result of sin. Mary did not sin. The baby is the result of the Holy Spirit, the ultimate solution for sin, mankind's rebellion against God. He's not the result of sin. He's the ultimate solution for sin. Joseph, this baby will not bring you shame. He will bring you salvation. And he's saying to us, this baby is a sign of God's love for you. That God did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all. And if he did that, how will he not also graciously give us all things? No good thing withheld. God does not withhold good things from you and me. He gives us all that we need for life and godliness. When we realize that, we no longer feel powerless. We no longer feel trapped between bad choices. You think Joseph nearly made a bad choice. He was headed down that road, verse 19 says. But God's clear revelation of this miraculous salvation, it enables him to make a better choice. And that's what we see in our final point. After no good deed unpunished, how life sometimes feels at our cynical worst. After no good thing withheld, the reality, the good news, the gospel of Christ, the one who was born a child and yet a king, the one who would conquer sin and save sinners like us. After all that, we see no temptation not common. No temptation not common. In verses 24 and 25, what do I mean? Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will, let, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Joseph thought the only choice was to divorce Mary. 
was the only escape route, but then God provides the way of escape, the clarity, the, the power, the, the, the trust that he needs, the way for him to endure all of this awkwardness and more. That doesn't mean that all the temptation just went away. And it doesn't mean that all the ridicule went away. People probably thought Jesus was an illegitimate child. People probably ridiculed Mary and Joseph. People probably assumed that Joseph was the father that couldn't wait until the wedding day. Otherwise, why would he have gone through with it, still married this woman? Maybe they thought he was a fool, as I said earlier, for marrying her anyway. People may have done business with the other carpenters in town, the ones who weren't morally suspect in others' eyes. Is Joseph ever tempted to avoid those accusations, just move to another town? What did the angel say? Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. He said, you shall call his name Jesus. So what do we read? Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph shows obedience and restraint here. Restraint. He knew her not until she had given birth. In so doing, the prophecy is fulfilled. The virgin gives birth. Now, she would have other children. She would not remain a virgin for life, as Catholic doctrine says, but she was a virgin when she gave birth to the Savior. And then obedience. What, what does it say? Joseph marries her. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He marries her. He he names his son Jesus. Not a small detail. Again, he is establishing that he is Jesus' legal father. He is Jesus is his legal son. Prophecy fulfilled, genealogy intact, as we said last week. Prophecy is fulfilled, you might say, through the obedience of, G, uh, of Joseph. Through the obedience of Joseph. We are all saved because of the obedience of Jesus. Let's not overlook that. But the prophecy is fulfilled through the obedience of Joseph, is it not? You might also say Joseph is blessed in part because of his obedience. That obedience is usually the path through which God's blessings come. And what does that mean? Does that mean if you messed up this morning, you lost your temper on the way out the door because someone was three minutes late getting in the car? Does that mean that you forfeited God's blessings for life? It means you sinned. It means you should probably apologize. It means you should deal with that. But does that mean God never blesses me when we disobey? Of course not. God blesses us in spite of our disobedience all the time. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord. He does not require me to be perfect on my own in order to bless me. But this is also true. We often find God's blessing and we avoid dozens of negative consequences by obeying God's word. And when we know that God will take care of us, we're empowered to obey, to do what he commands. Joseph obeys despite fear, despite difficulty, but God has spoken. He's addressed his fears. God has provided a way through the difficulties. They remain, but Joseph knows that God is working, that God has given him and others a savior. And you may not have the same kind of dreams as Joseph. In fact, I'm pretty sure you won't. 
God has also spoken clearly to us, has He not? In His Word, He's told us no good thing will He withhold. He's told us that no temptation will be uncommon to man. God will not give us a situation where we must sin to get out of the difficulty. Now, it may still be difficult, maybe because of our previous sin, maybe because others sin against us, but God never paints us into a corner. He never makes us sin our way out. He always gives us a way of escape. A way to trust and obey. That's one thing among many that Joseph's story shows us. Of course, Joseph isn't the main character here. Oh, he may seem like it. He's getting the most screen time, right? For now. But the main character is great Joseph's greater son. It's this baby in the womb. The one who would later say, those who are well have no need of a physician But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why would Jesus say that? What was he saying? Was he saying that righteousness is bad, that we all need to stop trying? That's the problem. No, he was saying self-righteousness is bad. Thinking that we are okay on our own. I have everything I need. I don't need your help. I definitely don't need God's help. I'm fine. I don't have any problems. Thinking like that will get you killed. But if you know you're sick, if you know you're a sinner, then Jesus is the Savior for your sins. Some of you feel that. You've you've heard me talk a second ago about sinning your way out of trouble. Some of you know exactly what that feels like. You hear, on the other hand, about Joseph being kind to this woman who whom he thought had wronged him and embarrassed him, and you're blown away by that. You're asking, does does anyone act like that? Well, not often. I mean, certainly not on our worst days and sometimes not even on our best days. But Joseph was able to obey because of God's clear word, God's good news. The clear revelation of miraculous salvation enables God's people to trust amidst fear to obey amidst difficulty. And maybe your life is scary, difficult, or both. Because of your choices or someone else's or both. And if so, why not turn to the God who comforts comforts us with his presence, Emmanuel, God with us. The God who comforts kings and carpenters. The God who saves not the self-righteous, but sinners. The God who withholds no good thing and who gives everything we need for life and godliness. Why not turn to him? Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, whether we're weary, wandering, or something else, whether we're running from you or whether we just need new hope amidst our struggles, amidst trying to obey but finding it hard, God, wherever we are, would you give us grace? Would you meet us where we are? Would you show us that you are Emmanuel, God with us? Would you remind us that our Savior is Jesus, the Lord saves, the one who will save his people from their sins? Born a child and yet a king, a king who conquered sin, who conquered sin and gifted us salvation, which we can find in no one else, nowhere else. God be with us, we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.